Welcome back to That Rooted Feeling Podcast. This is episode two, Lifestyle Factors to Support Your Overall Health. This episode is brought to you by the Rooted Food mobile app, the app that helps you get a variety of plant foods in your diet to improve your gut and overall health. You can download it in the App Store or on Google Play. Welcome to That Rooted Feeling Podcast, where we bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition. So you can achieve optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all areas of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another week. We're so happy that you are here. And we are going to dive into lifestyle factors to support your overall health and wellness today. Brooke and I are going to talk about these areas of your lifestyle to focus on for optimal wellness today that we both use to really guide our practice and lay the foundation for our patients and our clients to get them to their optimal goals of wellness in their life. Well said. And keep in mind that even though we're medical professionals, we don't know you or your health history. And so we really want you to take this information as educational. If you choose to implement it, please discuss it with your medical provider because nothing we say here is meant to be taken as medical advice. As a lifestyle medicine physician, I do focus my practice on these six pillars that are provided by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And they are nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, avoiding toxins, and maintaining meaningful social connections, which of course I expand on. I know you do too. This is very similar to the model I use in health coaching. So today we really want to lay the groundwork for all of these pillars and these topics that are essentially going to guide deeper conversations on this podcast. So let's jump right into the first pillar, which is nutrition. And what we know to be healthy in terms of nutrition or dietary habits, and when we say diet, we don't mean like a trendy diet. We just mean how you consume food, nourish your body. But what we know to be healthy is to have a diet that is predominant in plant foods. And the reason for this is that Foods from the earth pack a complex arrangement of phytonutrients, minerals, and vitamins that cannot be replicated by any processing or laboratory. Another key ingredient to plant foods that is so beneficial to health and is not present in any other form of food is fiber. Only plant foods have fiber. And I think that's something I really didn't grasp before getting into this journey, but fiber feeds the beneficial bacteria that are in our gut. A lot of people refer to them as the microbiome or the microbiota. It's all these different species, and there are species that are good for us, and there are species that are bad for us. Fiber is the ultimate food for the good gut bacteria, and we can feed other bad bacteria with suboptimal food, but if we're feeding ourselves with the right food, we get the benefit of also growing these microbiota that are beneficial to our health. In starting off this discussion, if you know now that plant foods carry a plethora of phytochemicals that you don't get anywhere else, and they have fiber that you don't get anywhere else, when you see food 
on a buffet or on a plate, we want you to think eat nutrients. I love that. I love the mindset shift of seeing nutrients and not just seeing food for its calorie content, but its quality and its nutrient density and what foods are really going to fuel and feed those healthy, you know, bacteria in our gut. A hundred percent. And we see through the American Gut Project that people who shoot for a variety of plant foods, namely 30 or more different plant foods in their diet per week, tend to have a more robust, beneficial gut microbiome. I would even break that down to say, you know, you can shoot for five fruits and vegetables, and I would make one of those a leafy green a day with one to two servings of whole grains, a serving of legumes, and a serving of nuts and or seeds. Yeah, because for you and I, who have been eating this way for a long time now, 30 may seem, you know, like a really manageable goal. But for our clients and our patients that are new to this way of eating, and maybe they don't incorporate a lot of fruits and vegetables, maybe just starting with one fruit and one new vegetable a day and growing from there. Right, absolutely. So when you think about how you want to eat these plant foods, you want to you eat these foods as close to their natural form as possible. So think of nutrition on a continuum where you have ultra-processed foods on one end where it's like that's the most unhealthy way to eat a food. And then on the other end, you have them in their straight-from-the-earth form. I love to visualize this for clients as, you know, you have an apple that is its whole form. You process it a little bit, it turns into applesauce. You process it even more, add more ingredients. It doesn't even look like its natural form or its whole form as an apple into, say, Apple Jacks. You don't see an apple anywhere in that cereal, right? Right, right. So, and, and that's great. Like, even when you get down to the juice component of the applesauce to the apple juice, you have taken all the fiber out of that food. Yes. And so, although there may be some benefit to that juice, your body isn't seeing that food as it was meant to see that food. And so then it may cause a derangement in your hormone balance, namely insulin. So again, always focus towards getting those foods as close to the two as they are in nature. A great book to quickly look at to keep you on track with things like this is Food Rules by Michael Pollan. And it's just a bunch of rules that you can read. I mean, it's less than an hour it would take you to read this book. It's so good. So he, t- he talks about like eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And I think that's just perfectly sums up how you should think about nutrition We don't want to eat too much food because if we eat too much food, we have this excess of calories. And not to say you have to be super thin, but people who are thin tend to have less disease and live longer. And what happens when you eat food that you're not going to use, you just create free radical damage in your body. And then it starts to store it in cells where it shouldn't be stored. Then you gum up the mechanisms of your cellular pathways. Additionally, There is a lot of information coming out about how epigenetics affects longevity. And so when you're not eating, some of these genes are being turned off. And so there's a lot of information about fasting, which we're not going to talk about today. But it it goes to the point that you don't want to overeat. One more salient point I want to make about thinking about nutrition is trying to avoid things that are prepackaged. Even if they're pretty good... A lot of these things have added sugars, 
and preservatives. So we want to avoid those and then knowing that plant protein is more protective than animal sources of protein for overall health and longevity is also important. So trying to make meat not the star of your meal, but more of a delicacy in your diet that you get it on rare special occasions. Yes, and I think that's exactly how they do that in the Blue Zones, all these longevity diets. I do love the Blue Zones. <laughs> they use meat as a garnish to meals or in celebration, and it's a, a two-ounce portion. It's not with every breakfast, lunch, or dinner like we're doing in a lot of areas in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> so... Of course, everybody knows you can't talk about lifestyle and diet without also talking about exercise. So Jamie, what is your approach towards fitness and movement in your clients? So with movement, I really try to help my clients find a way to move their bodies on a regular and consistent basis, but something that's really joyful for them. This is a huge part of a holistic health plan. It's not just diet, it's not just movement, it is all of these factors. And exercise really can be some of the best medicine we can subscribe to. We know how it reduces our blood pressure, it improves our heart health, it increases insulin sensitivity, it boosts our mood, which is a huge factor, and it improves our sleep quality and, and so much more. And if you're going by the guidelines, the American Heart Association will tell you that the recommended goal is 150 minutes of moderate aerobic exercise with two of those being strength workouts per week. But we meet our patients and our clients where they are. If 10 minutes a day sounds feasible, right. that's best for you. Whatever it is you will get accomplished, that's the exercise you should be doing. Anything that's going to sound daunting that you'll never get to, that's not the right exercise for you. Yes, and if you know we're recommending 30 minutes a day, you can even break that into 10-minute blocks. Or if you planned a rigid routine of 30 minutes for the morning and your kid wakes up, break it into you know a 10-minute walk and a 10-minute strength exercise or 10 minutes of yoga on the floor. It doesn't have to be all at once. I love to recommend having a rigid goal set but a flexible routine. Mm -hmm. And so this also is not a one-size-fits-all prescription. So if you have some health concerns, I really recommend my clients that have some serious health concerns consult their physician first before adopting a new exercise regimen. And I love to focus more with my clients, not just about the number on the scale. I've never made weight loss the goal for myself or my clients. And I've found that one of the most helpful things when embarking on this health journey and incorporating more movement into your days is shifting your focus from solely chasing this number on a scale to doing more of what makes you feel good and measuring other ways of progress like feeling energized, having an improved mental and physical strength, sleeping better, feeling amazing and confident mm -hmm. in your genes and in your skin. I love that. I always have patients tap into that feeling post-exercise because Although I will have my patients weigh themselves frequently, even daily, because I know that people who tend to keep track of vital signs in their lives can stay on goals a little bit better, but I never want them to look at it as a determination of their worth or how well they're doing necessarily in terms of meeting that goal, but rather as a vital sign to gauge where they are. If they've had a bad day, of course they're going to know it's going to go up. But if they have 
a lot of good days in a row, they can so fine tune what is affecting their weight. And certain some things you don't expect will affect your weight, whether you haven't had enough sleep, if you aren't well hydrated, if you haven't had your bowel movement for the day, if you just started your period. And so little fluctuations can give you a lot of help and guidance to stay on track. So weight is just a measurement of the, your body's physiology. I love that. I love the idea of weighing yourself, that that keeps your goal front and center for you and motivates you and keeps you going. I say do it. But I also want clients and patients to recognize that once you get to that goal weight, that's not going to mean you're automatically happy or your wellness journey is complete. Right. And that goes back to your point to do something that makes you happy and that you enjoy doing. Yeah, move in a way that feels good, that's enjoyable, and that's sustainable. And that is the important point, something you can sustain. As we move through these pillars, you're going to really see how all of these Mm -hmm. are really interlaced and connected. And we talked about how movement helps you sleep better, improves your mood. and, And sleep really is that third pillar of this lifestyle approach that Brooke's going to dive into now. So Brooke, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how sleep benefits us? That's right. No species has been able to adapt out of a sleep cycle. We need rest. It's imperative for our health that we have a restorative period. It's restorative to our bodies and our brains. What we know to be beneficial in terms of the amount of sleep we're supposed to get in a 24-hour period, it's somewhere between seven and nine hours. So an average of eight hours of sleep, which we all know. And some people will tell you, I can survive on four hours of sleep. And I will say to them, you probably could because in the first two thirds of the sleep cycle, your body restores itself. And it's towards the last third of your sleep cycle that your brain actually goes through a restorative process where it consolidates your memory and it removes debris. So for total overall health, it really is important to get that full eight hours. And how you do that is by having great habits surrounding your sleep. I'll give you a few recommendations. I find that everybody's a little bit different when it comes to sleep. And I would say a lot of the issue around sleep is the anxiety around sleep. So if you're not sleeping, just accept that you're not sleeping. And at some point, your body will catch up. Or you can try some of these things that I'm going to outline. The sleep opportunity you want to give yourself is eight hours and usually at the same time every day. So your body gets on a natural circadian rhythm where it secretes cortisol and adenosine in a regular pattern. This sleep opportunity should be in a quiet, dark room with a comfortable temperature. And prior to this, you wanna start dimming the lights an hour before bed. You also want to avoid certain things closer to your bedtime. So avoiding blue light because blue light can decrease the secretion of melatonin from a penile gland. You want to avoid alcohol as much as possible a few hours close to bedtime because when it wears off, it has a stimulant effect. It also decreases melatonin. It will increase cortisol. It inhibits ADH, so you might have to go to the bathroom. And it affects your growth hormones, which are really imperative during the growth portion of your sleep cycle. Similarly, 
if you're having a big meal close to bed, that can affect your sleep. You can also get heartburn. So avoiding food two to three hours before bed is beneficial. And caffeine is another one that we all use throughout the day as a stimulant to keep us going, but it blocks the effects of adenosine that make you feel sleepy. Right. And adenosine is really important. When I talk to patients, I'll frequently bring out a graph that that shows adenosine as it's released throughout the day. So adenosine is your, your hormone for sleep pressure. It helps you to feel tired. When you wake up, adenosine starts to be released. And your body's cue to start releasing adenosine is based on your waking hour. Similarly, cortisol release is simultaneously being released when you wake up. So not only do you have this sleep pressure building, so by the time it's time for bed, and if you're thinking about a 24-hour period where you're getting an eight-hour cycle of sleep, it should be peaking at the 16th hour. And cortisol is also building throughout the day. So cortisol, as it builds, counteracts the effects of the sleep pressure adenosine brings. When I talk to patients, a lot of times they'll get to their bedtime that is designed for them based on their circadian rhythm, and they'll try and push it. And then all of a sudden, their cortisol isn't dropping because your body's sensing this need to stay awake. Our primal bodies, if we have to stay awake, it's probably because we need to be a be able to fight off a predator during the middle of the night. And then melatonin will start to take over. But if you miss that window, it's very hard to go to sleep. So giving yourself that sleep opportunity, winding down an hour before, no blue light, less light, light stemmed, will get you in that natural rhythm to sleep well each night. And always waking up at the same time ensures that those hormones are released as they should be in a pattern that is suitable to maintain a good, adequate bedtime. So you're telling us to really listen to our bodies and pay attention to the sleep clues. <laughs> yeah, that's cues. the short answer. <laughs> and the reason to do this, to get adequate sleep, is to improve your brain function, immunity, lower your disease risk, improve your lifespan, and also make you less irritable. So I think getting good sleep can help mitigate a lot of the effects of stress in our environment. Um, But there's so much more to stress, and Jamie's going to dive into that fourth pillar. Yeah, so stress is not what happens to you. Stress is your reaction to what happens to you. And our primal way of being as humans is to have this fight-or-flight response. And so our body doesn't know the difference of a tiger jumping in the room Uh or a paper due next Monday. Right. And so when this happens, our body, you know, releases these catecholamines that increase our adrenaline and get us into this state that we don't want to live in all the time that's going to produce more cortisol. And we have to train our mind to better adapt to whatever comes our way and let it know that a tiger is not jumping in the room. And so you can't eliminate the demands from your life, but you can take steps to train your mind to better adapt to whatever comes your way. And so I help my clients identify these triggers, develop effective coping mechanisms, and allow them to move through their day. And so some of these tips and practices that have been shown through science to help manage your stress and overwhelm, I'm going to start touching on those now. Exercise. Exercise increases your feel-good endorphins. 
and it allows you to really get out of your mind and into your body. Another one is getting more sleep. Brooke really harped on the sleep doctor <laughs> and really covered that area. And so getting more sleep allows you to wake up refreshed, have a clear mind, have those that recovery of your brain to allow you to function at your best the next day. Another one is proper nutrition. So what we feed our, our mind and our bodies really is affected. There is that gut-brain connection. And then the other, the M areas I like to talk about, mindfulness and meditation. So mindfulness is really just allowing yourself to be in the present moment. This is a concept that was new to me over the years. And I think when you think too much about it, it can seem overcomplicated, but just moving through your days with really noticing all those little details and being in the moment rather than being rushed like we always are from activity to school, to work, to dinner, just being present in the moment. Our mind really thinks involuntary, just like our heart beats involuntary. So we have to bring ourselves into the moment to handle the stress in the right now. And then meditation. This is an amazing practice that we've both have implemented in our lives that really gets rid of stress from the past. And so it allows you to de-excite your nervous system, allows you to really connect with that inner voice and your intuition. When you're moving through your days, the, the noise of life is just so loud and not taking that moment to really pause and be still. This isn't an easy practice. I know when I started out, I thought I was failing. Right. At it. So I would sit there in this, you know, perfect pose. I had the music going. I tried to do them on my own. I now do guided, which I highly recommend if you're just starting out. But I just thought, you know, my thoughts were just like running through my mind. Right. And I was like, I think I'm doing this all wrong. Uh-huh. Did you feel the no, same way? No, and I'm glad you say practice because just like anything, you have to practice. I felt like, oh my God, I can't even slow down my breath. That's how bad I felt like I was yeah. in meditation. But today, I could not live without it. I noticed such a difference in how my day will unfold if I start my day with a mindful meditation practice even if it's just 10 minutes and it's really crucial to not only my mood but my productivity yeah I love that and remember we don't practice meditation to get good at meditation we practice meditation to get good at life and that was a big game changer for me and another tool we can use is breath work to really manage our stress this really helps in the moment and I know even cardiac surgeons when you know a blood vessel snipped or something, mm. they have to come back and be able to, you know, fix that bleed and be in the moment and not let their stress response take over. What a great and, example. And so they will use breath techniques in the operating room. We don't have to just use them there. We can use them in life. But taking, you know, four deep breaths in and four deep breaths out to really lower your heart rate, to lower your blood pressure, to allow you to perform in the moment. And I think this is a great tool we can have with us always. We always have our breath. And so this is one I use, and I'm not sure if you use Brooke too. Yes, I absolutely use breathing techniques throughout my entire day. And I encourage my patients to do the same. Whenever they've got five minutes to drop back into that parasympathetic response and slow down that stress response that actually gives them aging and unravels their DNA. Yeah. Yes, I love it as a tool throughout my day. If I'm feeling stressed, I just focus on my breathing and take those four deep breaths in and four breaths out and do eight cycles of those. And that really puts me back in the moment. 
And some other tools that I use to help manage stress are gratitude, really helping your brain point out things that are going right in your life. Um, nature can be really grounding. Go outside, put your feet in the grass, let the sunshine hit your face. This is incredibly helpful for reducing stress. Also creating boundaries around social media, um, unplugging from constantly being on. This is a big one, I think, in our society today that we really have to be mindful about and set some clear boundaries on how we're gonna use that as a productive activity rather than something that's going to cause us more stress and focus on what others are doing and take us away from really just growing ourselves. And lastly, abstaining from caffeine or alcohol that can really exacerbate the stress. And Brooke's going to talk about all of these toxins. And why don't we just dive into that now, Brooke? Right. So there are things that we want to try and avoid putting in our body to maintain overall health. And we can talk about them in terms of toxins or toxic substances. The easiest one to talk about because it's generally accepted that it's so deleterious to our health is tobacco. It causes oral and pharyngeal cancers, it causes lung cancers, head and neck cancers, it's associated with bladder cancer, heart disease, strokes, early mortality, COPD or emphysema, and poor immunity. So we just avoid smoking, we should avoid any kind of vaporized nicotine. Another subset of toxic substances, easy to talk about, drugs. We don't wanna do heroin, we don't wanna do opiates. We know the deleterious effects. It gets a little more fuzzy when you talk about things like alcohol because it's so generally accepted in our society. And there is maybe some benefit to the polyphenols and red wine and certainly some of the social aspect to alcohol consumption. So you, it, this is a case-by-case -case basis. Moderation is a difficult term for most people to understand. So moderation for you might not be overall moderation. So Always discuss this with your physician, especially if you have risk factors for things like cancers or liver disease, pancreatitis. You can also experience things like anxiety and depression and sleep disturbances from alcohol. So it's not benign. So another area we need to consider is medications. Even over-the-counter medications are not benign, right? So we talk about NSAIDs, how they can affect your blood pressure, or they can cause bleeding, or they can affect your kidney health. So again, talking to your doctor about any medication or supplement that you're taking, because, you know, there's toxicities even associated with vitamin D, which we generally recognize as safe, but if you have too much, it can cause an ill effect. Yes, there is no perfect drug. They all have their side effects. And if we think about toxins that are more insidious in our environment, we can think about pollution, which if you live in a big city, is hard to avoid. But you can do things like taking your shoes off or putting an air filter in your home. Yeah. Other things are perfumes. So if you're heavy on the candles or heavy on the perfumed body lotions and stuff like that, you can start to eliminate those one by one. We also want to think about caustic agents and all of our cleaning supplies. And then we can think about insecticides. We want to stay away from things like Roundup and Raid, also Teflon in Scotchgard. All of these things can have an effect on our body's natural systems. When we think about overall health too, we can think about, you know, when we eat plant foods, sometimes they have been sprayed with an insecticide. 
yeah, so washing your fruits and vegetables appropriately to rid them of any of, you know, residual. And you can always look at the environmental working group's recommendations for the foods to buy that are considered the dirty dozen, and you should focus on getting those as organic produce if you can. There is no reason not to eat produce if you can't get it organically or if you can't afford it. You should still eat the fruits and vegetables. It's just one extra step. Yeah, it's still better to get those plants even if they are in inorganic form. Right. So that's not easy. All of these things, and it's hard to identify all of them. Of course, we're going to do a whole segment on, you know, how to rid these of your environment, but it isn't always easy. And especially, you know, we talk about alcohol and how how accepted it is in terms of social environments. And so it's hard to just like, okay, I'll get a water or a mocktail. Yeah. But we don't want you to avoid social situations just to get rid of the toxin because... Jamie's going to talk about social connections. It's the last pillar and so important. Yeah, by nature, as human beings, we are social. We're wired for connection. And one of the most powerful things we can do to live longer, to live happier, is have a sense of purpose and also have these strong social relationships. This social connectedness and being a part of a community and having that support really gives you meaning and a purpose to get up each day. I know over in the blue zones in Okinawa, they use the term ikigai Mm -hmm. and embrace your ikigai. It's your reason reason for getting up each morning. And this is so important to have these connections in your life that allow you to have this resiliency emotionally and move through your days with more ease and joy. And there actually are studies too that show that isolation is associated with increased mortality and people live up to seven years longer who can articulate their sense of purpose. So some ways that have been shown to really nurture the sense of connection are giving to your community, sharing, um, supporting each other, performing acts of service. This really allows you to connect with your community, making meals for each other. This is our ancestral way of living Mm -hmm. that we've gotten so far away from of, like I said before, moving through our days from activity to activity and not taking time to say hi to your neighbor. How was your day? We're all connected through just endless energy and you have to tap into that unlimited resource of happiness and joy. Yes. You have to take care of you as well and implement the stress reducing behaviors I talked about before because stress is linked to this high self-focus and therefore you're gonna lose the sense of connection in your community. So really taking care of yourself first so that you can then show up as your highest best self for those you love and your community and your children and your family and your friends really is an important factor in this social connectedness. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to ask for help, seek out help. Others love to help you and they love to be in service of you but they don't know unless you ask. And we get so wrapped up in this, you know, social isolation in motherhood. And Mm -hmm. we forget that we have a community there we can lean on, but we have to ask. Right. And that strengthens that connection and bond and improves quality of life. Yes. There's no award one for (laughs) saying I'm independent and I can do it all. We need each other. (laughs) That's true. So that's the gist of the six pillars. I know with my patients, I also 
emphasize proper hydration through getting water mostly, avoiding too many caffeinated beverages or sugar-sweetened beverages. So that's something to think about in terms of overall health. Then, of course, dental care is important. So getting regular dental exams, you know, once or twice a year in order to make sure you don't have dental caries because those can affect your heart, they can affect your gut, and they can affect your mood. Additionally, having your regular screening exams is really important for your overall health. That early detection is so important so that you can minimize the downstream effects of disease. An important way to bring this all together is to find the motivation through a proper mindset. And Jamie is going to bring that home for us. Tell us a little bit more about how to get in the right mindset to affect our overall health. Yeah, so we all have these goals and ambitions in our lives. So what's stopping us? It really is these limiting beliefs. And these are those stories that we tell ourselves that we believe to be true that hold us back from becoming who we're meant to be. And a lot of times these are subconscious. We don't even know these are happening. And we sabotage our own success by believing these of, you know, I don't have enough time or I don't have what it takes or I'm just lazy and that's just who I am. And anyone can break out of this cycle and be on a cycle to success by identifying the limiting beliefs and then replace them with more empowering beliefs in their life. And this is where the growth happens. Success starts with the belief that we all have unlimited potential. And when we can believe this and believe that we're deserving of the success, we're able to tap into that potential. And this drives greater action, which in turn drives greater results. And that's where we want to get you all to. A message that I heard long ago, and I wish I remember the source, was to be willing to accept the change you want to see in your life. And so many of us don't feel like we're worthy to see ourselves in a better place, we're here to tell you, not only are you worthy, you are deserving. Yes. So we hope that in this episode, you found some things that you can connect with to start you on your journey. We can't wait to give you more. So we hope that you will join us again next week. Thank you for starting your week off with us. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and share it with your friends. We'll see you next week.